Welcome to the Psychosphere. I'm David Sutcliffe, and my guest today is Andrea Martin. Andrea is a core energetics practitioner and a certified radical aliveness practitioner, just like me. She has a private practice and a remote practice based in New York City. She is also the co-founder and co-facilitator of the Core Evolution Bridge process. She founded that with Sherry Brown, and they offer one- and two-year personal transformation programs. If you want to check that out, and you should, you can go to coreevolutionnyc.com. I'll have a link in the show notes. And in today's episode, Andrea and I talk about her beginnings with Buddhist meditation, We talk about somatic psychotherapy. She introduces me to the vasomotoric cycle. I'd never heard of this, but uh, really, really interesting. We talk about trauma. We talk about God and spirituality and facing the void. Please enjoy my conversation with the very wise Andrea Martin. How'd you get so smart and thoughtful about all of this? And just to segue a little bit into your history, like what's your origin story? How did you get here now to, where you're at? To the, okay. Um, well, maybe they're just, the, you know, yeah. the, the, the Coles well, Notes version or not. I mean, I've been, my, I, I've, I feel like just I came into the world as an existential being for sure and had plenty of plenty of dysfunctional material to work with, you know, in my youth, uh, in the family. Um, but I've always had like this orientation towards life as this just sort of seeing kind of beneath the surface and in a family where that wasn't common. So I was very alone. I was mm. just like, what? are we like living the same moment? Like how are people not seeing what I'm seeing, right? So that was always just kind of in my nature. Um, And I've had, like my life has just been sort of non-traditional. I've had like four different, like solid different successful careers, but my life just has kept evolving. Um, Just out of, more of an interest in moving towards the things that feel exciting to me and like more like sort of soul level stuff. Um, And so my first experience of really meeting the world more fully in this kind of place was um, when I was in college, I traveled a lot and I had some sort of unitive consciousness experiences on mm-hmm. some journeys, um, journeys in nature, essentially, not, not assisted journeys, but journeys in nature that caused me to really go like, oh my God, what on earth is life? Like, what is it? Like to really ask those questions. And then in that moment, I discovered um, Buddhist, a Buddhist meditation practice and started to sit retreats. And so that was my first sort of interface with like kind of this of inquiry, you know? And so I sat Mm -hmm. many retreats. So it's been 30 plus years, like many, many retreats of various lengths. I used to do um, uh, every year I would sit for a month. So these are silent kind of deep practices and had teachers that followed my practices. And so 
Yeah. And a month is great. And it's like, you could sit for three, like there's a traditional retreat that's three years in length. So whatever, but it's still something just to be silent with yourself to like, kind of decide to like wander through the neighborhood of your own mind, like, you know, and not have the normal distractions of life. It's, it's a project, you know, it That's really a is a big project. Yeah. What a way to approach it. That sounds terrifying to me. Yeah. So I started with that. Um, and then I eventually like sort of just through life experience, I, um, I became a teacher and that's like, I, I think of myself as a teacher, really. That's what I'm most drawn to. And what now, did you teach? I taught, I taught at-risk youth. Like I taught high school. I taught culinary arts. I worked as a chef for 20 years. So like I have like variety of skills, but in general, anything that I've ever learned, I've felt excited to teach. Mm. So that's always just like sort of a natural like thing for me. But um, sort of as I kind of lived my life, I ended up discovering core, core energetics, the moda this modality. Um, I did a whole bunch of other different kinds of things in addition to meditation. But when I landed here just in person, in my own personal therapeutic process, I was just like, whoa, like, and it was super interesting because the mindfulness stuff I had been doing for decades at that point, it's like, it can be fairly subtle. Like it, it's like you, the present moment is like sort of the level at which you sort of meet meet experience. And I'm someone who like my energy pattern is like on the subdued and lower side. And so until I started doing like somatically oriented work in a group, which actually brought in not a silent group, like, so it brought in, <laughs> it increased the charge. And so what it did for me is it actually started to unearth and like sort of shake up like much deeper layers of material. Mm. And so that material would float up into or like volcanically appear in consciousness. And I had all the skills to observe it because right. for decades I had been watching experience just like here I am. Let's see what's going on. And so the, the kind of hybrid kind of combination of mindfulness and like sort of this expressive somatic work really like worked for me. I think it's a great combo. It, obviously those of us who do this work have a bias, anybody who, whatever it is they do, they have a bias toward it, but it sure. does feel to me there is something very unique about core. Um, not just the, the, the expressive aspect of it, but the framework yeah. of it, you know, based on, I guess the pathwork lectures there's nothing like it. I mean, there's nothing out there like the pathwork lectures and these concepts of higher self, lower self mass, particularly the lower self, the way that it yeah. thinks about the shadow and the development. I mean, you know, the debate, are we born with it? Is it developmental? Probably, I guess, some kind of combination. But nevertheless, sure. the way that it thinks about that, which is when you explain it to people, they immediately... I mean, not immediately, so there's some resistance sometimes, but they get it. It makes, it yeah. just kind of makes intuitive sense. And so it's, it's interesting to me that it's not more mainstream. It's one of the reasons that right. I'm doing this because I just, 
I, you know, I want to talk about it more. I want to get these concepts, concepts out more. But um, is that your experience? Is there like a uniqueness to core? And, yeah. and maybe what is it about core that, uh, that, that what drew you to it exactly? Well, well, I mean, just to speak to what you're saying first, it's like what I like, hang on, I'm just like, I want to gather my thought for a second about this. Um, what I like about core that I think other things lack is that I think there's a lot of built-in bypass in other, and even like maybe in meditative practices and maybe other modalities where there isn't the, the framework essentially to sort of, and the encouragement to look at sort of all parts of ourselves as nature right? Like, right. okay. So, and you know, in, in meditation practice, there is a way to do that. And, but put that aside, but for, with core is that I like that. It's like that there's a sense of that it's nature, it's universal and like, and that it's, um, observable. So it's like, this framework is not esoteric. It's not like, Oh, here's this whole like principle, but it's like, it's like, here's a framework about sort of um, a pro like whether it, whether it, we're, we come in with some material, whether it develops in childhood or both, it's kind of almost like that's less relevant, um, but that it's like that there's a, a framework that says that when we experience pain, at an age where our resources are limited in our ability to understand it or meet it with any self-agency, we develop a way to survive, right? right? And so, and you can kind of look at that, right? You can observe that. And like, if I give you a framework that says, look for this kind of expression of energy, look for this strategy, look, whatever it is for you, like what's most powerful to me is that then the person can kind of start to sift through their life in real time and observe it. And mm -hmm. when you can catch yourself in your, your behaviors that you do, you can then choose something different. And that's the place where it's like, and then you can go through a, a maturation process where you're no longer meeting life in the consciousness of the child. And it's like, oh, okay, wait a second. If I don't actually believe like the worldview that I developed in that moment where my mind like had limited resources, like, wait, like what's possible? Something else, I think. I mean, that's what I'm, I mean, I work with that with clients generally, but like my main project is myself. Of you know, course. Here I am. This lifetime, this is the person who I am. I have been granted guardianship of, and so I am checking all this stuff out for myself, you know, and just seeing seeing what happens. No, that's a very good description of it. Um, I mean, we develop a uh, a framework that uh, for which we look at reality. You know, it's like a lens that's was adaptive to our childhood. We had to adapt that way. And there's all kinds of distortions there and belief systems. And most people become, some people become aware of that or some have some sense that something's off at a certain point in their life, 
life and then they go to seek help for it. That's certainly what happened to me. And, I, and also that I could see that I was repeating patterns, that I was in a loop and I wasn't conscious of it. I'm like, right. what is, what is, I'm doing the same thing over and over. I'm the same fight with every girlfriend I've ever had. I'm using the same language. This is something inside me. There's some, something right. that is unresolved. And to undo that is not an easy process. And I think, I think the thing that's so unique about core is, is which we've alluded to, but this, it, the idea of the lower self, like going into the shadow and, but not just looking at it and understanding it, it's feeling it and oh, expressing totally. it. When I felt my murderous rage at my first workshop and I went all the way into it and I could feel the part of me that not just wanted to kill, wanted the person to suffer. I wanted to torture them. And I took immense pleasure yeah, totally. in wanting pleasure. to torture them. This was this came out of me like just flowed out of me once I felt the permission and the, the environment was created. And right on the other side of that was this deep pain that I had no conscious awareness of. Yeah. All of these things came out of me that I didn't know were inside me that were obviously running my entire life in yeah. some way. And then on the other side of feeling that pain, it was, I just opened up to this deep unity consciousness. My heart opened up, love everybody and everything yeah. looked beautiful and perfect. And once you have that visceral experience, right. you kind of just want to shout to the world, people, Right, um, right, right. Well, it's it's okay. very motivating, right? Yeah. It's motivating, but you have to. It, it's like what you said. You have to first have a call to the to self-examine, right? Because you could have just continued, like without even realizing it, you could have continued along the same path if you had a sort of hidden view that you were a victim of life then you're right. screwed. You're going to, the pattern that you're seeing where you're the common denominator, it's so easy to just keep looking outward. And so you have to have like, there has to be something in the consciousness that feels a call. And I think for each person, it's different, right? And I mean, there's probably categories of types of call, like types of ways that our functionality in life just erodes to a point where we go, wait a second. This, just this, eh, I'm not into this. You know, there's got to be something that I can do about this. Or I, yeah. I need, or I, I have to look. And, you know, usually pain is like sort of there, you know. That's like for sure part of things. I mean, I would say, you know. Um, but I think, I think it's, I think you're right. Like that actual, the be like the ability to feel and experience this energetic force, this energetic part, the pleasure in it, what it's protecting us from, and that if we're willing to feel the pain, we actually can, something changes, you know? Something changes. We, we heal and... Yeah. Uh, in some way, it's really simple. It's like, you know, we hold pain and trauma and anger and frustration and fear. We hold it in our bodies. And yeah. if we're holding it in our bodies, 
and we don't want to feel it, well, we're going to live in a way unconsciously, uh, do things, attract partners uh, to avoid feeling that. And so it limits us. Uh, and then also unconsciously creating situations in which it, you know, right, which, uh, will which come it, up. Uh, the exact, which it does. Yeah. yeah the Life exact formula for us. that pain to get reconstituted keeps coming up because, right. because I think like the force of life or whatever you want to call it, there's a thousand words that we could use, but I feel right. like life like has an impulse towards healing. Like, so and unity. Yeah. And so, um, we are unconscious keeps attracting like really the most remarkable, perfect scenarios to keep reconstituting the pain. Body. It's very annoying. It's very, Oh, I know, man. Annoying. I'm like, so like masterful at it. Like, I mean, I go in with my eyes wide open. Yes. I'll pick that. What? You know, I'm so good at that. But, um, yeah, I was going to say something else about it. Oh, I just started, um, studying this thing called the vasomotoric cycle. Do you know about it? The body no. cycle of learning. Um, so I guess this woman, uh, Gerda Boyson was the one who sort of developed it. She studied with Reich. I'm going to like, I'm going to destroy it right now. I'm just in my infancy of studying it. So, but it's super interesting and it is really fits so well with core. So basically it says, it looks at stimulus and response in an organism. And let's look at like the human organism. So a stimulus comes in and then there's, and there's a response to it. And the response is, if in the way that we study um, the body and the energy system, the response is a charge. So a charge comes in. So a stimulus comes into the system and maybe some, maybe we're, and let's talk about childhood. Something happens like a kid like is out on the playground and something happens to the kid and the kid gets <gasps> like the charge comes into the body. They're scared. They're upset. They're, you know, the prime, like something primal happens, right? And then, and so what this cycle says is that there's a cycle, an energetic cycle that the body naturally goes through to process that charge. Right. And if it gets interrupted anywhere in that cycle um, and the charge doesn't get fully processed, that charge actually stays within the body. And it stays like, you know, with core, the way we talk about um, sort of muscular armoring and like the way the body responds to developmental trauma or whatever. Um, in this case, they, this cycle posits that that charge like stays in the, in the tissue, in the tissue of the body. And it, yes. it becomes, it becomes sort of how the body gets patterned. And so what I love about working with this cycle is that there's a way to actually bring people, find a, the old kind of charge that creates these patterns, these patterns both in the body, emotionally, in thoughts, in behavior and action, and sort of in relationship to life, like on all five levels, and move that charge through the cycle fully. Because when it goes through the cycle fully, we actually can uh, learn something new. We break the pattern and it's super, I mean, I'm just starting to work with it with clients and I'm just starting to endeavor to learn more about it, but I'm super into it. 
and I've had some really cool sessions where I've actually been able to get a client with a specific memory. You want to work with something specific. And what was the stimulus? What was the charge that came into the body? And what did they do with it on what conclusions, what happened to them Mm -hmm. on all these levels? And then to, to get them to feel, feel and discharge, come into a place of safety, homeostasis, get the nervous system, the nervous system naturally comes into regulation. And then there's a new piece of learning that happens and gets integrated. And it's super cool. So that's my new excitement. And it fits with core super, super well. Well, it sounds like it, and it, it, it sounds, what, you, what I hear you say is that it's, it's a natural process. It's, that it's, it's the, 100% the nat- natural. Of course, nature set us up to be able to heal ourselves. Just like if we get a cut, we heal ourselves. So emotionally, can we heal ourselves from trauma? It doesn't make any sense that we would carry this in our body, that nature would build that up. So there's something in the mechanisms of society some right. conceptions that we've had around feeling and, and, and getting rid of the rituals that we may need to have around all right. kinds of traumatic experiences that happen that we probably need these rituals. And, and we've shamed people feeling sad or angry or sure. upset. Don't be, you know, don't be sad. Yeah. And uh, I love what you're saying about ritual. And because I do feel like there's something that's probably shifted sort of in our post-industrial kind of world. And I know like, I'm just talking about this tiny slice of reality. There's plenty of cultures that are, that haven't shifted and maybe that like have a have different sort of setup and organization like collectivist versus individual and whatever. But I think there is something missing in terms of maybe the ways that trauma got cleared in other times and other eras um, through ritual or through some collective experience or through movement or through dance or through music or through storytelling, something that we maybe have lost. And now we're in the era of the psychological, whatever that is, you know, so it feels interesting and it's well fun to work in this era as a you know human who's born in this century whatever it makes sense i mean you know the science and and rationality it sort of took over the culture and so everything became about that and and feelings got relegated um to less important or less meaningful um, and that's, that's what science does. And on one level, it, it, it separates and categorizes things. And so it, it, it stops us from looking um, at systems in, in, in the wholeness of them. And I think mm-hmm. that's part of what's happening. And I mean, there's a resurgence. I don't know if it's a resurgence, but there's, a, there's so much happening out there. I mean, I hear so many people talking about trauma now. You never heard that 10 years ago. Everybody's talking about their trauma. And it's, you know, some of it's good, some of it's bad, some of it's distorted, but nevertheless, it's in, it's in the conversation. And that's, uh, that's feels inspiring that more and more people are becoming aware of this idea of, uh, that we are holding, uh, feelings in our body, that it's important to feel. And even people that you'd think wouldn't necessarily think that way. I'm surprised by some of the people that are 
willing to have these conversations or acknowledge yeah. what it is that's that's going on. So it's I, I feel very inspired. And it does feel like we're part of some, you know, movement, something that's happening, right. something that's needed, and it's part of the evolution of what's happening. Just to speak to that for a sec, it just feels like there is some conceptual mainstreaming of that concept. Yes. Which creates a normalization of opening to things that maybe would have stayed kind of in the background. I mean, I think that word can, like the word trauma probably loses its like clinical defining value when everyone's like, oh, I didn't get that parking spot. I had trauma, you know, whatever, whatever they're like, however it gets yeah. watered down. But it does, it does sort of allow for a more, a slightly more complete version of self to start to exist. How are you thinking about God these days? Or are you thinking uh, about like God? Probably like most of the day, all day long, I think about God. Yeah, that's where I'm at. It's just all God all the time. Oh, it's all God. It's all like, it's really my main, it's my main gig in this lifetime. You know, it's really like, I mean, mostly right now I'm working with God in a whole bunch of different, like just self-developed practices around surrender, surrendering my will, surrendering my will to God's will, um, God's plan, whatever that means. And I use the word God, like I don't, my, I have a very like, I just, I don't know, I'm into it. I'm into like the spiritual level of life. It's my main preoccupation. I don't know, like, I definitely don't mean God in any like, traditional sense of the word. I didn't grow up with really any religion. and um, But I do feel like anything that helps me get out of the driver's seat when I don't belong there is beneficial for me. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was, I listened to this podcast of this kind of semi-spiritual teacher regularly, and she was talking recently about this kind of philosopher from the last century. I don't remember his name, but he talked about this thing called the golden key. Have you heard about the golden key? I no. mean, I'll just tell you two sentences because that's the all key? I know about it. But this guy basically said, when you have a problem, do not focus at all on the problem. Just focus on God. And very quickly, the problem will find its solution. That's, and so that helps me. I go, okay, like, yeah, so. That's what's been happening for me. Every problem that I have when I really sit, whether I meditate or journal, and I really like ask, like, what should I do? The answer is always just go to God every time. And it's. It's like, well, what is, what, like, I know what that means, obviously, yeah. but my ego is like, what are you talking about? Go to God. No, we got to do something, bro. We got a problem. We must take action. And then I go on Instagram and there's a thousand people telling me the action that I need to take. Nobody's saying fucking go to God. 
just give it to God. Well, some people are. Maybe I need to follow more of those. But that's what I you can feel, and I can often, feel the dude. truth of it. Yeah, I can. Well, feel and that it doesn't it's true. mean we don't have we don't take actions, but course, they're guided by something else. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, I feel very like in my spiritual life right now, and it feels so. Um, it feels great. I, I mean, honestly, I go, like, I definitely have, like, a, uh, you know, like, if I were to just, like, sit in the arc of my life, like, sort of the broken arc, right? It's like, um, the there are many, many, many times, much more often than not, that I am just, like, face to face with the void. And I'm like, man, this sucks. Yeah. This is so painful and difficult and hard. And I have this really intricate relationship with the very special flavor of void that's like in this lifetime, my flavor. Because like so much of my childhood pattern got like integrated into my experience of emptiness because I felt so alone in my family. So I had like an existential void, but then I had an actual like degree of neglect in the family. So there's all these layers of patterns and behaviors, and I'm not going to explain it very well, but, um, but so, you know, it's been interesting because it's not like, you know, sometimes I feel like in my, like turning towards God, I feel that space of connection, that space of expansion, that space of just like the, an, an energetic flow around my the spiritual life that I'm in. And then a lot of times I feel just like a forsaken experience of like, and it's super painful. And those are the times where I have to work uh, with myself. Like, you know, those, those are the times where I'm learning the most, you know. So, and I've had a lot of both lately. Me too. Up here in Idlewild, I've been up here just over a year now, living alone, massive life change, shift in everything, but including my identity and my whole orientation to the world. And I've had moments of deep despair and looking into the void and feeling the nothingness and uh, self-judgment and self-loathing and it's fucking painful and yeah. I I know like in those moments like there's some part of my brain that's like this too shall pass this like you're burning this is suffering and you're like burning up pain this is part of the process right. that you need to go through to evolve and so there's I I trust it. I try not to judge it too yeah. harshly. I mean, I think one of the problems in that we see in the culture, it's, or maybe what I look at is this idea, you know, especially with social media, you know, we're happy all the time, happy all the time. And it's just completely I unrealistic. I spend one second of my day or my life looking at social media. I don't, I do zero of it. It's just, I you do feel. zero of it? Zero. Zero. No zero. Twitter, no Instagram, zero no Facebook. Zero social media. Not a single second of my life I spend on social media. I think it's You're my poison. hero. It's it poison. is poison. I hate it. I, I really, really, and 
it feels like poison to me. So I don't do that. But um, Good for you. What I want to say, but I, but I have my other activities where I, you know, use right. to distract myself, whatever. Um, a supervisor, I think we both share. Um, and I, he and I talk about the void all the time, probably in every session. And what I like about what he says is that it's a threshold, it's like it's a threshold and it's like you have to be willing to enter the void because it's like we think that in the void is nothing. And he's like, the void contains everything. And I'm just like, all right, I'm, I'm doing it. And I can feel like it's like I'm circling like some kind of like glacial lake, some frozen country, like, you know, like trying to find my way to surrender to it. But it's, you know, it's interesting because, you know, all it comes up with clients all the time. And I mean, not every client, because I don't think, I think most people have like such intricate sort of defense structures built to avoid feeling emptiness. I mean, I don't, maybe emptiness as a, as a primary experience is characterological or developmental. I don't know. I know like sort of, I can think about my childhood and like why I feel this particular experience acutely. I don't know. Maybe, I mean, do you have an opinion about this? Like if people get wounded at later ages, do you think they have less they contend less with the void or I mean everyone is gonna die so like I we're talking about some existential sort of I, it's hard I, I'm not sure because I only live inside my own head and it's hard to yeah. really get into the deep because th that is such a subtle experience you know of, of uh, if there's a kind of realm there I assume that people who are wounded earlier have more issues around the void um but i have you know I, I, I don't i i have my own issues around the void I'm, i was working with a shaman once you know what you're saying makes me think go into it it's like he said uh if a snake comes to you in your visions with its mouth open go inside mm. and i also had an experience at a vision quest Lakota vision quest last year four days four nights no food or water the water yeah fucks with you because it takes you close to death I mean not close but you know you, there's only so long you can survive without water six seven eight nine days depending on the environment so it that's the whole point of it to break you down and um the vision that that I got uh or at least one of the visions that I got, I looked down this tunnel and it was just like, it, sh it was showing me like, if you want to walk down this path, like that's the tunnel you got to enter into. And in that tunnel was everything, but not just everything beautiful and wholesome and good. It was everything dark and cruel and murderous mm. And it was asking me to hold it all. Like, this is life, homie. <laughs> like, you want, you know, and you think about the Native Americans 
back in the day living on the plane. I mean, they had to reconcile themselves to that kind of brutality and their conception of God had to include all of it. And that's, I mean, this is my interpretation. I don't want to say that's what it is, but it's how I experience it. And that's, that's what I've been trying to hold for myself. And, and I think for my clients to like, are we willing to hold the good and the bad, the light and the dark all together as one thing? Because that's what God is holding that there's really no separation and can we hold that inside ourselves can i hold inside myself that i i am divine but i'm also the devil i can be the devil and the more consciousness i have about those parts of me and acceptance of them the more i can actually make real choices in every moment yeah and I think that's a, it's a hard thing for me to feel like I could feel the intensity of having to accept. No, I want it to be good. I want to like be enlightened. And then, then, then I live in a field and it's paradise and there's grapes and a gentle breeze. It's like, no, no. And I had another vision where I, it was like, I was sitting on a kingdom out in front of like my kingdom. And it was this beautiful kingdom overlooking and I feel this peace but I could also feel like just around the corner like war is coming like this does not this peace this does not last forever like Mm -hmm. war must come and you're going to be called to fight and sacrifice Mm -hmm. and maybe die and others will die and there will be tragedy and bloodshed and brutality and then there will be peace again and this is the cycle of things and that's that's what I'm you know, the conception of God that I'm trying to hold right now, which feels really, really good and also a little scary because to really face, because you, you must face the heart of darkness and face the, the, the purity of the light. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's... Like what that makes me think of in Buddhism, there's there's something called the eight vicissitudes. Do you know about this? No. Um, gain and loss, fame and disrepute, pleasure and pain, and um, uh, praise and blame. And that we never like you know, it's like the admonition is to like don't get too comfortable. Right. Don't get too comfortable anywhere. And, and, and so I like in, you know, my version of what you're talking about is to, for myself and like what I talk to my clients about too, whether they sort of join me in this sort of quantum level of thinking about it or not, um, is that the only refuge that we have is in awareness. Like if your refuge is in the object of awareness or the state that you're in, as if you've arrived, you are in grave danger because you ain't staying there long. And, and it's good news because when you're really in a funk and you're like, it's going to last forever. Like that's part of the delusion that like, makes that a solid experience. It's not going to last forever. And I say this to myself, it's not going to last forever. Uh, Nothing does. And that there's, so like 
to rest in awareness and to keep looking at like how am I relating to, what's my relationship to this moment or what's my relationship to this experience? Liking, not liking, or like kind of confusion. What's my relation? Because that actually conditions part of the layer of suffering that we'll experience in a moment is how we relate to something. If we're not liking it, I, it should be different. There will be more suffering than just the inherent pain of an experience, like whatever, you know, valence an experience might have. And it, you know, and if we are really liking it and grasping and grasping, it's a setup, you know, it's going to be, it's going right. to be hard once it starts to change, you know, and this idea of this is how it should be is going to create a lot of suffering of not accepting life on life's terms. So it's like life on life's terms. That's another like, you know, okay, not in charge. Andrea Martin. Thank you.